Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on July 9th, 2023, Keys to a Healthy Marriage. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3, 18 and 19. Apostle Paul has gone from great theological concepts about the high uh, supremacy of Jesus Christ to talking about, in this chapter, how that plays out in the life of his followers. And he goes from preaching to meddling in these two verses. Because he starts talking about relationships in the marriage so I've titled the message, Keys to Healthy Marriage. And I already had a couple of people say, well, man, I don't even need to listen to it. I'm not married. Mm-hmm. I don't have to think about that. I'm not planning on getting married. I'm good. Mm-hmm. A couple of things about that. First of all, that doesn't stop you from praying that the people around you have these kind of marriages. Exactly. It's to everybody's benefit. And we are going to point out some truths here that I think are as applicable to anyone, whether you're married or not. That having been said, the topic of marriage is a little controversial today. And uh, if I start getting onto something that is a little unsettling to you, would you wait until the end so I can bring all the points together? And hopefully we'll clarify where we're going with this. The verses we're looking at today are are short, sweet, to the point. And because of their vital nature, we will be going to other passages. Hopefully you have a set of notes and you can follow along here. Here's the scripture. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we're going to look at these two concepts, the role of the husband, role of the wife, as is outlined in Scripture, and see some of the keys that are essential for a healthy marriage. In order to jumpstart this conversation, we need to go back um, into the book of Genesis to get an understanding of what marriage is. Um, Within the last week or so, um, somebody on Facebook that I follow was talking about marriage and asked the question, in God's eyes, when is a marriage started and and the person asked for scripture he says i don't want your just your ideas floating out there he says when when in god's eyes does marriage start well we're well familiar today with some sort of a ceremony and whether it's a justice of peace or down to las vegas to get uh, elvis presley to do the ceremony or 
whether you have a church wedding. We're familiar with all those kind of settings, but what's scripture have to say? So I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis is easy, it's the first book. It's not like I was having you turn to Ezekiel or something. Anyway, Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, the creation account is being revisited. And the focus then turns to uh, Adam and Eve. And by the time we get to our passage uh, this, this morning, the Lord has caused Adam to sleep, taken a rib from the side, formed a woman, uh, and then as he brings this to a conclusion, he says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this passage isn't the only place where that those statements are made. It's also made in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. There's also one in Mark, chapter 4. And then the passage um, that Tom read for us in Ephesians, chapter 5. And so I've summarized it with this statement. Marriage is God is a God-ordained union between a man and a woman and involves a man leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife, and they becoming one flesh. You say, Pastor, you got really creative there. You just copied that Bible verse, didn't you? And that's exactly what I did. So let's look at these elements. He says, a man leaves his father and mother... Then he cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now the significance of the first statement, leaving his father and mother, will be discussed in just a few moments, because it's essential, I believe, for an understanding of some of the other truths that we need to know in order to have a healthy marriage. But it involves going and starting your own household. He leaves the father and mother, and this is directed towards the husband. The husband leaves the father and mother, and then he cleaves to his wife. I think Chuck Swindoll used the phrase, he says, when you think of cleaving, don't think of a cleaver. Think of super glue. The idea about cleaving is to be joined together and made inseparable, and then it says they are to become one flesh, and many have indicated that there's the idea of a sexual union as part of what marriage is all about. But as we said, that first phrase, leaving father and mother, has some significance as we move along. It's in the passage in in Genesis chapter 2, before the fall. So we know that this isn't involved with sin. This was God's design from the very beginning that there would be children by way of new households and they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's plan. 
So marriage was a God-ordained union. That isn't where it stops, obviously. Because our passage says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And of course, we have that troublesome word, submit. Let's just skip it. Just get out our pens and we'll just cross it out because obviously that can't be right. No, it's true. So let's go on to the second point. He says, we need to understand the framework of marriage. But the second one is we must understand that God has designed marriage around the principle of headship. Around the principle of headship. We're going to be looking at that passage in, in Ephesians just a, a moment more. And we'll look at it in some detail. But... Remember, as Tom was reading, he said, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is Ephesians 5, 22, and then following. He says, For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and he himself is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so all wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so here's the picture in verse 23 of this idea of headship, that there would be someone who is the head and then someone who is not. And he doesn't use another term. And a lot of the terms that we use have negative connotations, so it's tough to even say what that is, but somebody is the head. And that's the husband. But in order to understand this whole idea about headship and wives submitting, it's important for us to go to 1 Corinthians. So I invite you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Apostle Paul is talking here, spending some time talking about how the church is supposed to operate. Later on in the chapter, he's going to talk about the Lord's Supper. But he says this very important concept. In verse 3 of chapter 11, he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is the husband. And the head of Christ is God. So we have... This description of the nature of headship. That is saying that the husband is head of the wife. But the man head is Christ. But Christ's head is God the Father. So they have the father, then the son, then the husband, then the wife. And the reason I take you to this passage is because we get all bound up about the idea of headship and submission, and you go, there the women are just being put down, and the guys are being exalted, and we get in all kinds of negative connotations there. But I want you to notice what it says in this about Jesus Christ and the Father. 
says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of wife is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. I want you to note this because there is no idea of someone being superior and, and someone else being inferior in the idea of headship. When we think of the Father and the Son, there is no power play. There's no one trying to usurp the other's authority. There's no one saying, the Father saying, well, you got to listen. I'm the Father, Son. you got to follow and do what I say. And the Son isn't going, oh, you're the Father, but you can't tell me what to do. There's none of that going on. There's no power play, no struggle to see on top. In fact, there's no tension in the relationship. Now I realize the Father and the Son are both perfect. And when we try and incorporate some of these truths, we aren't quite as good at doing it. But still, the call is on our lives to do that. And I want you to go to this passage so that when we start looking at the role of the husband and wife, you keep this in the back of your head. Headship is God's plan, and he doesn't exclude himself from the plan. The father and the son also experience headship and submission. In fact, the son said many times in the Gospels, and we've looked at that many times, the father is declared to be the one that the son looks to time and time and time again. I say what the father wants me to say. I do what the Son wants me, or what the Father wants me to, to do. And in fact, there's many times where you could have said, well, Jesus could have just acted independently. But he didn't. He kept coming back to the Father and kept affirming the Father in his role as headship over his Son. In fact, if we understand this right, and we go to one of our favorite verses. What's one of our favorite verses in the Bible? You go, well, I don't know what the pastor is thinking. How am I going to say this out loud? How about John 3.16? All right? For God so loved the world that he came from heaven to earth. Is that what it says? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son went, wait, what do you mean? You're giving me to go to earth? No, there's none of that. There's no struggle in the union of the father, son, and the spirit. Later on, when the spirit is due to come, the, the son says, it's time that I go, and I'm going to send the spirit. And so there is another whole correlation of direction and, and submission. So we come to the third point. First point, marriage is God-ordained union between a man and a woman involves leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife, they becoming one flesh. The second point, we must understand that God has designed marriage around the principle of headship. And the third point, headship does not involve superiority or inferiority. In other words, whenever we talk about 
headship or submission. We're not saying one is better than the other. Or the other is less than the other. We're just saying that it's done. And I put it, it's a matter of effectively work together in different roles. Just as the father sent the son, the role of the husband and the wife are different. So the question is, then what are the roles of the husband? What are the roles of the wife? To which we brings us to the verses that we started with, with wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So let's talk about, first of all, the role of the husband. The role of the husband is that of a servant leader, thus fulfilling his responsibility as head of the household. See, it's intriguing to me that whenever we go to this passage, and I can tell you I have had multiple discussions with people about this passage, it says often... Scripture is used as a club. The husband says, I'm the head of this house. You will obey. <laughs> you will do what I want. It's your responsibility to submit. Take the passage and ram it home. But we go, wait a minute. That doesn't fit at all with Scripture. Because... Jesus, when he came, he humbled himself and became a servant. And anybody who really understands the idea of leadership from a biblical point of view understands it is not lording over someone. It is rather serving them to assist them to do what they are intending to do better. Okay? In the case of the husband, he is told to love his wife. That's the principal command in Scripture. Husband, love your wife. Now, I am not going to take the time to go through a lengthy discourse on love. If you've been here, we've talked about it over and over again. But basically, the idea of this agape love is where you set your heart and mind on another to serve them, to minister to them. It isn't a matter of, I do it because I feel good when I do it. No, it is, what do they need and how can I serve them? The Father saw us and loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a satisfaction. Pay the full penalty for our sin so that he given us newness of life. He saw our great need and he sent his son. And that was his love gift to us, his son. So the concept of love, then, is the hallmark of the role of the husband. 
He is a servant leader. He's head of the household. And he is to love his wife. Now going all the way back to our description, remember I said that uh, a man leaves his father and mother. It doesn't say that a woman leaves her father and mother. You would think, well, certainly the woman would have to leave her father and mother. But that's not the point. The point is the man is going to start and establish a new household. That is his responsibility. And so the husband leaves his father and mother. And so now we see this one where he is going to start this household. He is now going to be responsible. No longer is his, his wife the daughter of her parents. Still is that in reality, but now becomes his wife and his responsibility to care and nurture and cherish her. In Ephesians chapter 5, and I invite you to turn back there. This is the passage that, that Tom read for us in our, our opening, our scripture reading. In Ephesians chapter 5. In beginning in verse 25, Paul talks about husbands. What is the role of a husband? Listen to what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so all you uh, people who say, well, this passage isn't for me because he's talking about husband and wife. This passage is definitely for you because he's talking about your relationship with your Lord. And he demonstrated his love for us to the place where he would cleanse us by the washing of the water and the word, he might present to himself a church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we might be holy and without blemish before him. That's what the Lord is doing in our hearts and our lives. So if you think this passage isn't for you because you're not planning on getting married, oh, this passage is definitely for you because if you're a child of God, this is what the Lord is doing in your heart and life. But there's three words that associated with love that I want to highlight here. Two of them are found in this passage. One is found in 1 Peter. The first word is nourish. And it says, in the same way, verse 28, the husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do guys have any problem loving themselves? No. If they say something to the contrary, well, they're just not telling the truth. Okay. Yeah, 
We don't have any problem with that. He says, no one hates his own flesh. And then he gives us two of the words. He nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So let's look at these two words. The first one is the idea of nourishing. It is a word that's also going to be found later on in the passage when it talks about the role of a husband, uh, a father to his children. He's going to nourish them. And the idea is the idea of tending and caring, not just feeding, but tending and caring like a, a gardener would take care of his garden. And he's going to make sure that there's a lots of good supplements in the soil so that it's rich and can nourish the plants. He's going to make sure that he didn't plant them off in some dark corner, but he gets plenty of sunlight. He's going to make sure that there's plenty of water so, so that it has those nutrients, all those things a person is going to do to his garden. And that's the same word that is used here to describe how a husband cares for himself and for his wife. He nourishes it. So the question is, if a husband's role as servant leader is to lead his wife to a place of nourishment, then what is he bringing to the table, if we will? Bad pun, maybe, but... What is he bringing to the table? Because he's not just talking about food here, is he? He's talking about in the realm of spirituality. Is he bringing to his wife the things that are necessary for her to grow spiritually? That's his role as leader. The second word is that the husband is supposed to cherish his wife. Now we're going to have some fun with this word. Because the word cherish literally means to make warm when cold. So when the wife comes over to her husband in bed and wants to put her cold feet against the small of his back. By biblical command, he cannot pull away. Because <laughs> it's his job to make warm when cold. Well, that isn't all it means, obviously, but I, I thought it was a good picture. The idea is this is a place the husband is the one who is going to not only nourish his wife, but give her the security and the comfort that she needs. And when she is cold, he's going to be the one that warms her up. On a physical realm, that's true. But also on a spiritual, in the spiritual realm, it is the idea of saying, what does my wife need 
what kind of things are hindering her in her spiritual life that I need to take care of and by enveloping her in her love, maybe she, in my love, maybe she's got some worry she's dealing with and I need to give her comfort and encourage her and tell things okay. So you can see there's all sorts of application there. But that's part of the role of a servant leader. He looks to the others and said, what can I do? How can I do it? The third word is not found in this passage. It is actually found in the passage we're going to go to in a few minutes because the focus shifts primarily to the wives. But it says, that in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, so why don't we just turn there, and we can make application. 1 Peter 3. Does the passage didn't look too familiar because it said 2 Peter up there. Okay, 1 Peter 3. In 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6, Peter is addressing the wives. We're going to look to the wives here in a few moments. But we want to look at down to verse 7, where Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So, husbands, do we understand our wives? Well, that's our task. He says, Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. And people go, oh yeah, there you go. Talking about being derogatory, weaker vessel. You know, women can do... He's not talking about that. When he's talking about weaker vessel, he's talking about something that's valuable. In other words, we're not to treat our wives as a vase. We're to treat our wives as a boss. <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, I, there was four of us kids, and periodically mom would try and do some training around the dining room table. Most of the time it is, it is disposable stuff. Mom very rarely used disposable, but she used a lot of unbreakables. Okay, but periodically she would set up the table with fine lemon and, and she'd break out her best silver and her best china. And we look at this thing and we go, oh, we better keep our hands behind their back. The one that got me the most, though, is she would serve milk in these really fancy type goblets that had a super thin edge. I mean, I think if we'd slip, we'd all cut our lips. They were just like really fragile, right? And so how did we treat it? No, just grab that thing. No, no. Tenderly, carefully, and you know, growing up, not one of them was broken by any of the kids. Because when we approached them, we gave them the due respect of their 
high quality. And that's what's behind this passage. When it says, show honor the woman as a weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So your prayers may not be hindered. If you have a problem with your prayer life, look down how you're treating your wife. That's the instruction of Peter. Show honor is the idea of high respect, high esteem. You know, treat your wife like junk. Don't do it. So one more. The role of the wife. You know I put this off to the end because it's talking about submission, right? Okay. We go back to Genesis chapter 2. It says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a help, a helper fit for him. Okay, the wife was designed for Adam. He was designed for Adam to be a helper. That's the idea. A helper fit for him. She's not to give him fits. That's not what that means. But someone who is a helper who is suitable to him. Okay? So the role of the wife is that of a suitable helper who stands under her husband's protection. And the idea behind submission is a military word. It has to do with rank. And we've already seen that. We've seen that God the Father, God the Son, the husband and the wife. And there's ranks there. And it has to do with roles and responsibilities and relationships. The word that is used and translated submission literally means to stand under. That's the Greek word, to stand under. And is the idea that as a husband would have the responsibility of oversight and caring for his wife and using the terms that we've already used to describe that, she would stay there so that she could be under his protection and then her job is to support. And again, we have three words. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 4, it says, Let your adorning, he says, don't be concerned with external uh, adornment, braiding a hair, putting on gold, jewelry, or clothing you wear. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So first one is gentle spirit. And the idea there is being compassionate and unassuming and considerate, gentle spirit. And then it talks about a quiet spirit. 
And the quiet spirit is there describing someone who has inner peace. Wife should be one who is at peace. And that makes for a healthy marriage. If she's always in turmoil, guess what? The household is going to be in turmoil. But she's at peace. The household will be at peace. And then one more word. And it's found down in the last two verses, verses 5 and 6. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham and calling him Lord, and you are his children, her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In other words, a wife shouldn't be frightened by her husband, but she still is to be a person who operates with fear. What's that mean? It is the word that we get respect or reverence from. That we would hold someone in high regard. When we're working with the scouts, one of the things that a scout's supposed to be is reverent. And basically, he doesn't treat God like junk. He treats God as valuable and important. And the wife then, who shows fear of her husband, is not fearful of him, but the idea of one who has immense respect. Well, we have skirted through this passage. Lord willing, I'm going to come back next week and touch on some questions that I couldn't even raise, much less answer in our time together. But I hope you, you caught the idea here. When he talks about wives submit yourselves to your husband, husband as fitting in the Lord, you say, because I'm a believer, I will do this. I will submit to my husband. Because that's what the Lord asks of me. And he says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Don't be lording over them. That isn't your role. Your role is a servant leader to care for them. The roles are different, but they're complementary. That's why Eve was said to be made suitable for Adam. And wives are to be suitable to their husbands. Just one practical piece of information, an application. If the husband is treating his wife as a vase, and the wife is showing due reverence to her husband, may it never be found coming from the lips of a husband or a wife something that puts down their spouse. Don't be talking, gals, don't be talking to your girlfriends about, about your husband, just shaking your head and, or rolling your eyes or any of those kind of things. Because your job is to uplift him, be supportive of him. That's the idea. And husbands, don't be bashing your wives. After all, 
You're her leader, and if she's not what you expected, maybe you ought to get busy doing your job. <laughs> but it's never profitable for a family unity to have one degrading another. So, wives, when your husband is given a job of repairing the leaky faucet under the sink, and he says he's going to get to it, don't tell your girlfriends three months later, I wish you would still get to it. Just keep that to yourself. <laughs> you know. And husbands, when it comes to your wife, same thing. She burns a meal, eat it, and enjoy the fact that you have someone to prepare your meal. You're playing the long game here. You're ministering to your wife. You're ministering to your husband. And the pictures of key, the keys to a healthy marriage involve these kind of relationships. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, apologize for being too brief. I mean, there's so much that could be said. But I ask that we would take what we have talked about, apply it to our hearts, profit from it, realizing that you are not strange from the subject. In fact, the relationship between your son and the church is the model for husbands and wives. For all those that aren't married, Heavenly Father, we ask that they would focus on being that wife to Jesus Christ, honoring, fearing, upholding, supporting, because we know that Jesus Christ is perfecting the church to present to himself a bride without spot and blemish. We give thanks that you're not done with us yet. We give thanks that we can have a role in the relationship. We give thanks in Jesus' name.